0: Hello, welcome back to the Odd Pearl Podcast here on Pearl Lane, on um, the back porch of the Pearl House. Grimy Jones here with Sweet Tea and the rest of the gang. Um, we almost we had a scare here a second ago. Sweet Tea almost uh, passed on to the next life. <laughs> um, at the hands of wheat thins. At the hands of wheat thins. We were we were discussing the over under on how many people die from wheat thins related deaths every year. Um, I think we took, did we take the under or, or over on, let's say 17 and a half. 17 and a half feeble diagram so wheat thins. You can't heads. take the even. Yeah, yeah, you them. can't take the even. Is it, <laughs> oh, is it over or under?
1: Something uh, we didn't consider earlier is there are now giant wheat thins.
0: Oh. Which are probably more
1: of a choking hazard. So, I mean, think about that. Yeah, yeah, that's going to wreak havoc.
0: For Earlier, I am going to the town hall. I'm going to go bring it up at the town hall now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, over, the
0: the Citizens of Chapel Hill need to know that. This is a risk for our children and loved ones. <laughs> um, yeah. Welcome back. Well, we've been we've been sitting here discussing for a while now uh, before we had to switch out microphones. What's um the 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 most important or most significant thing we've taken away from the first two rounds, um, leading into the Sweet Sixteen, which began yesterday? Uh, what's the biggest story, to y'all, out of the first two rounds, or the thing that shocked you the most?
2: um out of the first two rounds i'm gonna uh probably start with a little bit of bias and say like how far this unc team has gotten based off of the expectations obviously by at the end of the season and the start uh, of the tournament because there were a lot of analysts that collectively agreed that this team was a bubble team at best yeah um and you know I think I think we've seen so far, you know, hopefully it can be sustained against UCLA tonight, but I think we've seen all positives. We've, you know, we've seen the best version of this team, you know, in both games. Obviously, Marquette was beat pretty handily, um, you know, because Huber keeps that 5-7 to seven tight man rotation. And, you know, as long as the starters are hot, because, like Turner likes to say, the iron five, if you have your nucleus and core playing strong, um, you know, and that's what this team heavily relies on in that rotation, then I, I don't see why – this team couldn't go far, and, and they showed that, um, especially with Baylor, too, because you know now we're down to just 1-1 one, one seeds, just Kansas, and they have a tough one. They'll be deadlocked with Providence later today. Um, I, I think it's, it was certainly surprising um, with, with the way they handled that. Um, I think especially, too, with, with teams like Baylor, especially with these higher seeds, um, you see the best defenses brought out by these top teams, and it was a little bit scary at times in that game with how we broke things like a press, uh, half-court tight man-to-man, um, you know, how, how we approached those things as we got later in the game, like when Brady Brady Manic got ejected, which I would actually be kind of curious to see, like, and hear you guys' reactions on if that warranted a flagrant two ejection or not. Um, a little bit later, at some point, since Corbin's already <laughs> shaking his head no. Um, but I think overall, even after losing Caleb Love and Manic, uh, I was still surprised by how the team managed to keep their composure uh, for those last five minutes of of overtime because that was a scare. Um, but I say I say that's probably the most surprising thing: is UNC's path so far, and and how after being considered a bubble team, how alive, how very much alive they still are heading into uh, today.
1: Uh, for me, the biggest surprise. Other than... Well, the thing I've taken the most from has been Michigan's performance in this tournament. Uh, I didn't think they belonged in the tournament, and we talked on another podcast about how we thought their team was going to crumble apart after uh, the whole Juwan Howard uh, fight, melee, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> with the Wisconsin assistant coach. Um, I think that uh, I think a lot of people, I don't want to say lost respect, but lost their confidence in the coach outside the program. I certainly questioned if he would continue to be the coach after that. I questioned if his players would respect him, would want to play for him. Um, These are all things we talked about. And I've just been so impressed with how that team has rallied and really rallied behind him. Um, It wasn't something I really expected at all and the way that they just all came together to play for their guy that's how you know that like the quality of person he really is and the type of leader that he really is and that's something that really surprised me and uh, honestly made me like have some questions in like why did I like doubt this guy in the first place just because of this one incident why should that define him um, so that's that's something that has really surprised me a lot also just comparing like, how hard they fought how hard they played together especially in um, who was it that they played in the second round Tennessee, Tennessee, you know, yes, Tennessee. and then also how Howard handled he, how he embraced Kennedy Chandler after the game, like that should get as much uh, like media play as the mm. the punch, you know, mm. like like that's leadership. That's like you know acknowledging when you mess up. That is like everything you would want in your head coach, and that really impressed me a lot and made me uh, just respect him a lot. And respect that program more and then I just also wanted to kind of compare that compare that kind of leadership the leadership of coach Davis rallying UNC after overtime uh, or, or before overtime after everything had fallen apart that's another example of great leadership and you know I also got to take a shot at Bruce Pearl <laughs> because <laughs> if you watched Auburn play Miami with four minutes left in that game Auburn was down like nine points and they looked like they had lost like they looked like the game was over and they were in the locker room after Mm. the people on the court were sulking around like they had lost like to me it looked like they lost faith in their coach Mm. lost like that will that want to do that like win that game for their program Mm -hmm. like that looked to me like a coach who lost his players so uh yeah Walker Kessler what you doing man (laughs) one of the best leaders in America going to play for Auburn like that that was one of the biggest things to me like just seeing how these players react to their coaches saw it too Mm -hmm. with the St. Peter's players wanting to play hard for their their guy like that was one of the cool things about the first Mm -hmm. round like new leaders kind of stepping up in Jawan Howard and Coach Davis.
0: That's a really good, I love that angle um, on that because that sort of funnels into what I would say, and I'm going to take the easy way out and talk about St. Peter's here in a second, but but I I really do have to point out, I think maybe it's a new mold of coach that's emerging. I'm not sure, but you look at the similarities I see in someone like Shaheen Holloway, right, who is the uh, head coach of St. Peter's, and Hubert Davis. When you saw and, and after the UNC game the way um, like that, that Davis was, was was responding to the questions about what did he do to get these this team rallied because you think about it look, that has got to be every coach's worst nightmare. looking at these players at the end going into overtime against a one seed when you looked like you couldn't move the ball past the free throw line of the other team of the, of the, of the other side of the court. For at least ten minutes. I mean, it was some of the worst. We were talking about Leaky Black, man. I mean, he showed his skill as a guy to be able to jump around and throw the ball off of people's legs. Like he's more. He's got a better percentage from that than his from the field. <laughs> like.
2: like dodgeball legend.
0: Literally. And so, like, you look at the way that he's answering these questions after the game. They're asking him, "How did? What did you say to them?" And coach was like, "Yeah, look, I'm." To me, I've always said this. To me, this is a ministry. To me, this is something I do um, because I'm here for the players. I'm not interested in all these accolades. I'm interested about my players succeeding. Um, and I think that showed. He looked so calm. He lo- He was able to look at everyone. If you watch the replays of him in the huddle uh, between regulation and overtime, he's looking each player in the eye, um, and he's just saying... Look, this is a great opportunity we found ourselves in. This is where we're tied with the one seed going into overtime. Mm-hmm. And his demeanor is being calm and collected, really got that team together. I don't think a Bruce Pearl would have been able to lead that team, even though maybe, like, traditionally speaking, you could say he seems like a stronger yeah, leader. He
1: just seems like a great coach, like, yeah. especially X's and O's, like they've had great teams in the past but but i
0: don't think in that situation that's what you want i think you want a Huber, you want a coach davis who's going to who's going to stand in there stand in the pocket laugh at people laugh like when players make mistakes and not like freak wow. out or lose his cool right wow. like to him his demeanor is so important and the same is true i don't know if y'all have seen the interviews of shane holloway um, the coach of st peters that guy is so soft spoken he reminds me of like tony Dungy. For the Colts. like You ever heard those stories about how apparently Tony Dungy never once yelled at a player his entire, like, coaching career? Hmm. Um, Shaheen Holloway is such a laid-back guy, and he's working with experienced uh, players that don't necessarily need that kick in the tail, right? Um, his, in fact, his starting five is all juniors and seniors. Um, and I've been really impressed with, with their play. I, I think Sheena Holloway is going on to really great things. I don't think he'll be around at St. Peter's next year. I think he's going to get scooped up. Um Pretty quickly, I mean, golly, you look at a, somewhere like Georgetown. I mean, I know they have loyalties, but I think that he could step into a place like that program and really take them far. Um, so I'm going to the St. Peter's Peacocks. I actually think I know that it seems cliche, but I, I do think they have they they pose a threat to Purdue. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to obviously they need to get hot from three, but I, I don't feel as if Purdue's perimeter defense has been as impressive as its interior defense. Um, I think that's something that you, they could possibly exploit. Um, especially down the stretch, man. If you can run the floor and hit open, hit hit some open threes in transition, you're going to cause a, a problem for anybody when you're well coached.
2: Well, it's two interesting things. First of all, March 25th, believe it or not, is National Peacock Day. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that until today as I was reading a couple things no before way. we came to record this. So if they needed any other source of motivation, if go. not from their uniquely influential coach, it is National Peacock Day and to your point about how important you know this this you know and what Turner started by saying what you've been emphasizing about how important coaching is uh, I think because we're mm-hmm. so I think on the biggest stage on the professional stage we're so accustomed to seeing coaching take a backseat because mm-hmm. as you go into the league for example like I look at the turmoil in Los Angeles with the Lakers how coachable are those guys truly? with like a median age of like 34 on that That's team you point. have guys that have that have done this for far longer than maybe some of these younger coaches have been coaching You know, college guys are typically more amenable and susceptible to being coached. It's so interesting because St. Peter's, too, like, they're the first university stationed in New Jersey to make the Sweet 16 since... um, Really? Yeah, since Seton Hall in 2000. And the starting point guard for Seton Hall in 2000 was Shaheen Holloway. Like, for for that team. That's crazy how things come full circle. He was the point guard for the last New Jersey school to go to the Sweet 16. And now he's taking the New Jersey school back 22 years later. So, um... Yeah, I think a coach's influence, even if they're not on the court, they, there's really only so much they can control because it's ultimately up to the players to go and, and dispatch what they're being told. I still think coaching more than ever, now more than ever, is is just as integral as as, as player talent mm. to winning basketball games. I do.
0: Man, I think that looks good for uh, Coach Davis right now, man. I mean, yeah, he's, he's been really impressive.
3: If I can stick on St. Peter's real quick, uh, my Spanish professor brought this up earlier today. Kentucky, their um, basketball funding was 15 times more than St. Peter's this year in terms of basketball funding for their program. Coach K makes five times more than St. Peter's basketball funding for their basketball (laughs) program. All of St. Peter's assistant coaches, except for Holloway, are volunteers. They don't get paid a dime to do their job.
1: No way. I did they don't I know get paid that. a
3: dime to do their job, and they knocked off Kentucky. They knocked off a Murray State team that had arguably the best year in its history. Yep, thirty and yeah. two. And if they beat Purdue, they've just beat two teams that have been ranked in the top five for most of the year. So, like, you look at just the determination they have for a team that doesn't make, doesn't have a lot of like financial resources the assistants are taking time out of their like next two and a half weeks to be at this tournament and don't get paid to coach this team like that is awesome that is so cool to me like it just yeah. makes me it makes me want to it want to cheer for them so bad and i will be cheering for them like i want to see this team go so far and prove that you don't need the fancy hardware the fancy silverware all the big recruiting hype and all that to make a run into and, and like that's what march madness is about it's the, mm-hmm. the underdog the little guy who doesn't have what it takes in the eyes of the beholder that then proves that beholder wrong and goes all the way. So I, I just I, I just want to throw those facts in there because I think they're so awesome. Like it's it's so cool to see that this team that has very little in comparison has a lot more than all these bigger guys. Corbin Morley everybody.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs>
2: incredible. the facts you just brought, I, I did not, especially the volunteering bit, I did not know that. That's, that's incredible. I, I think with all that being said since Isaac and Corbin, you guys are, you guys were heavily emphasizing St. Peter's. Do you think with all of the potential like for the reservoir of energy that St. Peter's has to draw off of and how much of a problem they could pose to Purdue this week, do you think Purdue out of out of all the, the teams remaining and all the Sweet 16 games left tonight, do you think they have the most at stake in terms of in terms of you know responsibility with putting this team away? Do you think the onus is on them more than any other team to get this win? Man, that is a fantastic
0: question. I would say yes. Um, you look at, I mean, the betting lines and stuff. I mean, analysts are given this ninety-six percent uh, chance of a victory for Purdue, um, <laughs> which I literally. think is ignorant. Fatal it's so ignorant world. have it they watched ignorant. the
3: last two games?
0: But also, man, Vegas always does well in these situations. Um, so, I mean, I, I to me, I do think this is the problem with these with these teams that make deep runs that are high seeded. How often are you going to have a a deep bench of guys that can get down low Hmm. and rebound on the offensive end? To me, that seems to continuously pose a a struggle to these teams as they get deeper in. Um, I feel like big man play is one of the most, um, it's obvious, but one of the most important um, things in a deep run for a team. Um, I mean, you look at, like, man, if we didn't
1: have Baycott, the... The big man reigns supreme in college basketball. I really
0: believe that in the tournament specifically, man. Because look, you don't have to have you having an, like anybody can have an on day, but if you're having an off day and you don't have anybody down there scrapping for boards, it's over, man. Yeah. Like that'll turn quick. So to me, Purdue actually is. I'm thinking of all the teams that are going to play tonight. I think the best suited to beat St. Peter's might be Purdue um, because of their interior defense uh, and their depth at the big man position. So I, I feel like I feel pretty strongly they do have the most at stake, but I still see a Purdue win um, over St. Peter's. Uh, and I'm not sure if it'll be relatively close.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I think it's certainly one of those predictions that even though you go like objectively with what should happen, I think we're all hoping that prediction's wrong. I don't think anybody yeah. would be opposed to seeing a 15 seed advance even further to the mm-hmm. Elite Eight um, because that would just typify what this period of the year is like. Mm-hmm. You know, with teams that you wouldn't expect um you know and then i mean who knows we're in a position now with only one one seed left i mean we, we could have a final four comprised of seeds maybe in a common you know a combination of seeds we haven't seen before
0: That's um, true yeah.
2: so I, I think it'll be interesting they i think they have the first game tonight st peter's does they, they do. do that's at seven yeah um so that'll be interesting i i, I think it's a whole different atmosphere and environment, you know, especially to your point earlier about the resources. And I think St. Peter's, from what I saw, they practice in something that looks like a high school gym to me compared to what, yeah. you know, their first round matchup, Kentucky, you know, played plays in. When you compare it to what St. Peter's plays in, you know, Ken, Kentucky plays in a mansion. So, you know, all of that is neutralized on this plane because you have two teams going away from home and playing mm-hmm. at a neutral spot. So now, all that you rely on is your identity, and I mm-hmm. think to to the point of what I've heard from a lot of people um, that I've talked to about this, which I also think is a good point, is you know a lot of these powerhouse schools like you know the Purdue's, the Kentucky's, you know I feel like there's a there's a there's a lesser chance that you encounter a tighter knit chemistry there than you would at a school like St. Peter's because mm-hmm. St. Peter's is probably full of two, three, four year guys mm-hmm. that are just playing together for the love of the sport as opposed to putting themselves in a position, you know, to advance their career professionally. So I think that's what gets a lot of these, these big schools beat, is that they're not expecting these schools with maybe less than them or coming in with a lower seed um, to, to play together as a unit. Um, so I think, like you said, if the shots aren't falling and, and, you know, maybe things aren't going your way and there's a talent disparity, whatever you choose to fall back on is the only thing that has a chance to keep you in the game. Mm. So I think even if St. Peter's gets down five, ten points, I don't—I wouldn't expect them to panic, because you know I would assume that they'll know that there's a chance they could be in that position. Mm-hmm. But I think the chemistry that they have to fall back on—a tight knit community—that I'm sure it is. I think St. Peter stays in it the whole game, even if they lose. Mm. I don't foresee a blowout. They also have that dude with the mustache. What's his name?
1: Doug. Doug. Doug, Doug, Eater. Doug Eater. Doug Eater. He's a
3: weapon. Six He's two, such a weapon. Godly. Seriously.
0: Man. Well, before we get too ahead of ourselves, let's go ahead and review uh, the Sweet 16 games from yesterday, Um, starting with what might be the biggest story, uh, I'm not sure if you really could debate otherwise, Arkansas
1: over Gonzaga. Reactions to that? Definitely surprised. I don't think anyone anticipated that. Gonzaga seemed like a pretty sure pick for your Final Four to most people. Um, unless maybe you had Duke or Texas Tech. I think that those were really the the two main teams that people could see upsetting Gonzaga. But I you know, I was really impressed with how Arkansas just was able to keep Gonzaga out of transition. That's what Gonzaga is it's kind of their bread and butter all season is getting out on the, on the run having these big men who can run the floor just like Arizona does um, and so that was, that was really surprising. I also just, I didn't think this Gonzaga team was as good as their team last year, especially at the guard play. The weird thing to me was Gonzaga got a lot of really good looks in like the floater area for their guards in that like three to 10 foot range and they couldn't make anything. Nimhard had a really, really rough stretch and like when you force them to play in the half court it really kind of changes everything and gives you a lot of momentum so that's what arkansas did really well Receiver bolton too he kind <clears> of <throat> struggled in that like mid-range area and then they got um holmgren and foul trouble too yes, which was a big was deal huge. so and some of those calls were kind of controversial but i don't think that impacted the 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 winner. Of that mm. game, I think Arkansas is going to win that game without the, the fouls, poor calls, honestly, on home grid.
0: Man, and, and it, it's it's the obvious point to make, but Gonzaga doesn't have a good track record against physical teams. I mean, it, Baylor last year. I mean, part of that I do think a team like Gonzaga. Man, I, there is this essence of like they hadn't really nobody on that team seemed to really step up to that moment in the in the championship game. But there is, I mean, there's something about this Arkansas team, how physical they are. Um, I could see them even giving Duke a good bit of problems. I think, I mean, look, Banqueros is a, is a freak of nature in a lot of ways. But, I mean, you pack the paint and you, you hound him. I'm, I'm not sure if he plays through contact all that well. Um, so he is, he is sort of—I would say—he's—he's he's a stretch. Whatever you put him at, he's a stretch. He's a stretch one if he plays a one. He's a stretch two when he plays two, all the way down the line. Um, so I wasn't—I wouldn't say I'm surprised by, by the Arkansas uh, win, but I, I wonder. I think they are kind of a uh, kind of a wild card. I think on how far they'll go in this tournament. It's hard to foresee.
1: I uh, I also just gotta bring this up. I saw a hilarious tweet last night that goes along with Isaac's take on the physicality of Gonzaga. Uh, this guy said, "Mark Few's gotta start adding some kids who ain't always have a ride home after practice in middle school." <laughs> that was so funny. I was like, you know, he's kind of got a point. Like this team's just not prepared for the tournament.
2: <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I mean, you talk about equalizer. I mean, th- this is this is something that we will not stop talking about in terms of. Ways teams can close the gap if if there's a talent disparity because with Gonzaga mm-hmm. being the one you'd say well there's no way on paper that Arkansas should be matching mm-hmm. them talent wise but you fall back on things like effort plays they're starting point guard J.D. Note for the for Arkansas shot really horrible mm-hmm. I mean nine for 28 I I, I think down <laughs> the down the stretch um, um, I think a lot of uh, Arkansas's transition defense you know where, where Gonzaga couldn't score off a rebound really erased people's knowledge of what was a poor offensive possession like the play, uh, the, uh, the play prior for Arkansas. It's like, you know, there were a couple couple times down the stretch where their guards would take a step back three or they would take a shot where there really was no need to take it that early in the shot clock. And it was a bad miss, but the consequences, the potential consequences were neutralized by hmm. things like hustle plays. Arkansas did a great job getting offensive rebounds, def- uh, you know, defensive rebounds. Um Getting Gonzaga's guys fouled out. the the foul that that got Chet Holgr- uh, Holmgren out at the end of the game was an Arkansas guard driving downhill and not shying away from contact. Mm-hmm. And again, we talk about you know tic tac nature of some of these fouls. You could argue, you know, you could argue that the foul that foul Chet out was not one. But regardless, they called it, and I'm sure that's what the guard was seeking when he drove downhill. You know, at the very least, if I'm not going to make this, let me just make sure we get him fouled out. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think. With with these games and, and uh, you know, the games that happened yesterday and the games that will follow today, I, I think any team that finds themselves, you know, down on the on-paper comparison can easily close the gap through other intangibles, you know, the mental things and, and the hustle plays, stuff like that. I think that always has a, a, a gives any team a chance to win.
0: Man, moving on, what about the Houston-Arizona game? Um, man, uh, t- to me, I look at Houston, and, and they always seem to surprise people. Which is interesting, considering the fact that they have—they're one of the, the most historic, um, like programs, I would say, in the NCAA. They are really slept on. I mean, they, their all-time starting five includes er- Otis Birdsong, <laughs> Clyde Drexler, Hakeem Olajuwon. Oh. Man, like, I, I, and of course, you know, they may be most famous for their loss against uh, NC State in the finals. Um, yeah, definitely. But that's it. That's that right. is a great program.
1: Um,
0: and I honestly my only like true knowledge of them came through the fact that Memphis really had their number this year um but what was the difference in in their game against Arizona I would say Memphis has some decent um some def- decent forward play but Arizona couldn't hand couldn't handle them for the full time of regulation
3: well um first thing and Isaac got promise isn't a dig but I Penny Hardaway managed that game horribly against Gonzaga. Yeah, Down the he stretch, did. he didn't call a single timeout when there mm, were several yeah. opportunities where he needed to because team, that team had no momentum and they had no idea what they were doing. But um, And I think that goes to Sampson. I think he's a brilliant head coach. He is such a good head coach. He, he knows every little thing that he's doing. And yep. he has that team so micromanaged. Not in a way where it's like, oh, it's super obsessive and like kind of like, oh, annoying. But like micromanaged like... He just knows what to do when it comes to a certain situation. Oh, I've already planned for that. I know the move I want to go to. Like, and you can tell how well coached the guys are. Like, there's even, I saw a story last week. One of the players that's playing for them came in and had major anger issues. Like, was just a big hothead. And, like, Samson helped him work through that and, like, helped him, like, kind of readjust where he can help control his anger and calm and just relax. And I think that's, again, that's when, when you have a guy not just working on, like, players skills but also their personalities and hearts kind of like davis like that's a sign of a good coach and um and yeah so i think i think that's the one difference i think he had them well prepared for the game and then two i I just this houston this this houston team's been slept on and and you can tell that they want to win it for their guys that they've lost they want to win it Mm. for those dudes that they just haven't um they haven't been able to play on the court and help them um the way that they've wanted to all year um and you also, I think that I think that Arizona team um, went on an amazing tear in the regular season, but you like TCU completely exposed their weaknesses, and I think Houston took that and was like, "Sweet, now we have a week of preparation to see what TCU did and kind of capitalize on that." Agree.
1: Definitely, they they just have that next man up mentality. They are they play as one. They move the ball so well. They play so hard. They can all shoot threes. My favorite play in the Illinois game, uh, Fabian White, he's like their they're do-it-all forward, and there's this loose ball, and it's going out of bounds around half court, and he runs and he dives, he grabs the ball with one hand, and throws a perfect pass to like the Houston guard running out in transition. I and mean, It could not have been a more perfect like, effort play, and they just, they wear you down.
0: Man, and it's part so of the reason weird, that they yeah. do wear you down is they have ten uh, players that are averaging double-digit minutes per game. Really. Um, mm. So their rotation is really strong. I think that speaks to coaching again. I mean, you have to know your players to have a rotation like that. You know, it doesn't just take like managing minutes. It takes mm. who do I need for this situation? And the fact that in the tournament you encounter so many different types of situations, so many players on the bench can become a utility if you're using them correctly. Um, And I don't think Houston is really known as a one-and-done school. And so you do have, maybe that's the sort of team that's equipped best for the tournament, Mm -hmm. is one of those teams that has history, that recruits well, but isn't necessarily a quote-unquote blue-blood school. Because you wonder why the blue-blood schools haven't been doing as well recently. I wonder if the one-and-done mentality has started to take its toll. And if you have a program like Houston that has players that can hold on to who are recruited well out of high school, Um, who played each other for a few years. Now you have the best of both worlds. You have a good coach. You know, you have the St. Peter's mentality, but on a team with more raw talent.
2: Yeah. I I think that's interesting, too. You know, the 10-man rotation. I mean, we're in March. Like, Mm -hmm. we're approaching, like, the final, you know, three to four games of the season for some teams. (laughs) To have a 10-man rotation this late in the year and still consistently feel confident running it means Mm -hmm. that all 10 guys are contributing something that's Mm -hmm. valuable enough where you adopt that same rotation and coaching style in every game. Mm-hmm. We talk about UNC's rotation all the time as a baseline. Like seven guys max. And in some situations, Schubert has no problem playing all five starters for the last 20 minutes mm-hmm. of the game. RJ Davis dropped 30 points, yeah, but he also played like 50 minutes. Yeah. So, you know, the, the expectation is, is different from coach to coach. I mean, hey, whatever works. But I, I agree with your point, especially Isaac, is like, you know, I would imagine you have the liberty to expand your rotation when guys have been there long enough, where your next five are going to give you just as much as your first five did. Um, you know, it's basically like it's basically like recharging the same guys by putting yeah. in a bench. Um, so I, I, I think that's interesting and yeah, um, you know the, the the demeanor of Houston's coach, you know on on the sideline you can see it. You know there, there was really no point in the game where I felt like he was he was panicking. Um, you know and really i mean yeah i i think oversight is practiced by a lot of a lot of these one seed teams and a lot of these high seed teams um you know to an extent where maybe us as the viewer you know we've we've watched these teams for the course of the year and we say okay a five seed beat a one so be it you know this houston team is, is built to do that uh, i wonder if these one seeds do their research and come into the game with the same with that same mindset because i'd have to imagine for you to lose by double digits some oversight had to be practiced. I'm sure it's impossible for a one seed to come in here, you know, totally respecting their opponent. I'm sure there's a there's a some volume of oh well we should beat this team. You know, they're four seeds below us. Mm-hmm. Um, type of thing. Um, and I, I'm assuming Arizona just got caught up in that. and They just got outplayed.
0: Yeah. Well, man. On the flip side of that, the next one we can move to um, as we kind of breeze through these, these next two, we gotta still get to our predictions for the rest of the Elite Eight. Villanova beating Michigan obviously wasn't talked about a lot because it was sort of one of the rare expected results we got to see. Yeah. Um, what what do we take away from that game?
1: I think we, we can really take away that uh, this, this Villanova team is not one of their most talented teams, but they play great basketball like they always have under Jay Wright. They've got a great leader in Colin Gillespie, and I think they're, the Big East really prepared them well for the tournament. The Big East is a really underrated conference this year. Providence is still still fighting too in this tournament, and I think they've just been well prepared by the adversity they've had this season, and and Michigan just kind of ran out of gas. That's a team that has had a really emotional month, a really up-and-down month. Had definitely no real sureness that they were gonna get in the tournament going into selection Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a team that just kind of ran out of steam and ended up with a successful season, and uh, I think Villanova is just just the better team in that game, and you know with everything Michigan's been through and how they've had to fight to still be playing the second weekend, you know, it's a success for them, and they can they can be proud of how they've played in this tournament. I'm sure.
3: I just, I mean, I have a lot of respect for Jay Wright. Um, I mean, he obviously beat us and then won a national championship two years later. Like, imagine being a, a student there, and that's, like, your freshman, year, junior, your sophomore, your senior. Like, that's a good four years um, being at school. Yeah. And all four of those years, um, if that was, like, your freshman year, all four of those years, you're, like, a one through a four seed, one through five seed in every single um, tournament, which is pretty um, great to experience. But, he again, that's another coach. He has his team prepared. They're so, so well experienced. They run an amazing system. Um, obviously, their team's not as talented this year, so that system may not be um, – exercise to its greatest ability. It may not be carried out in the ideal way. Like, I think back to that, uh... Oh, is it 2017, 2018? The team with DiVincenzo and, uh...
1: Mikael Bridges. Mikael Bridges. And, and Jalen Brunson.
3: <laughs> like, that team was insane. I think they won all of their games of the tournament by 10-plus like or something like that. Like, yeah. and they beat Michigan in the final by, like, 13, 14. They were
1: 2009 UNC level dominant. They were. Like,
3: the. It, it just it was unfair. It was completely unfair. But, um... Yeah, I just think you can't really sleep on them. And again, they started the year off rough. I think they started it was something like, like eight and four, or something like that. Like I know they lost, and they played a really hard getting schedule. But then, then you fall out of the limelight, and it's like, okay, let's work, let's work. The attention's not honest. Let's, uh, let's get into the grind, and they did that, and they played well. And um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, it's who knows. They could totally pull, pull off a. Uh, Elite 8 upset, um, or not an upset depending on how the Sweet 16 uh, plays out today, and make it to the Final Four. I, I just don't think you can count Villanova out. They're definitely one of those new blood schools, and they should be respected and uh, feared, honestly, every single year.
0: Man, absolutely. And I, I do. And You do see that pattern of a lot of teams that, man, I wonder if you lose the motivation or if you lose the expectation at the right time, right, and people start to take their eyes off of you, it can sometimes work out in your favor. You yeah. look at Memphis, you look at Michigan, you look at UNC. Um, when you, come January, if you have all eyes looking elsewhere, man, watch out for that team that still has talent, right? That has people that their whole lives have gotten to where they are today because they love to prove people wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're putting that person in the most comfortable position they can be in, yeah. right? Which is yeah. is to challenge them and to, and, and to write them off. Um, right. Especially you look at Basketball, having been a way out for so many guys, right? Um, man, a, a route to success for them financially. I mean, a lot of these guys have been fighting to get out of where they come from or, or to, to to succeed in some way. And so, yeah, you don't want to count those guys out, and it happens naturally. Um, but that leads us to the final game of, of that we need to we need to cover. That's already occurred is the Duke Texas Tech game. Um, man, Duke looked. Uh, I thought they looked really resilient. I think Texas Tech, all the three seeds this year feel very strong, um, including Texas Tech in there their, and their stingy defense. So how did Duke do it?
2: Luck. <laughs> <laughs> With the way Texas Tech started, right, you'd think it would be. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I, I think, um, to your point earlier, Isaac, you were talking about physicality, I think think letting Duke get comfortable is just incredibly dangerous because I think the less dirty work they have to do, they're totally comfortable doing. You let Ben Carroll get in his Siakam bag and keep spinning to the basket and getting open (laughs) layups off of that, you know, Duke's not going to complain. and Texas Tech for a time couldn't figure out the two-three that Duke got, in in the second half, mm. um, you know, then you know, Duke obviously went back to you know back to man when the when the game was you know when they had a, when, uh, you know a, a comfortable enough lead. But it's like you know with, with Texas Tech, you get up to such a great start offensively, but then you make the mistake for some reason, you know, of taking the foot off the gas and letting Duke get comfortable. I think like you said, the minute Duke runs into a truly physical team, which Arkansas, which is that you know, they're mm. set to, they're, you know, they're they're set to dance with them, I, I think for Duke, that will probably be their toughest matchup yet. Not not Texas Tech, because they proved us otherwise. I think Arkansas is a team that has no problem pushing you around for 40 minutes. And I think because Texas Tech did not do that, and they also missed their you know, their their fair share of crucial shots and their inability to figure out the two three puzzle that, that Coach K threw at them. I, that's why they lost, and um, you know Duke. As much as I hate to admit it, they, they do have exceptional talent this year. I mean, Mark Williams, their center, had yeah. a you know, vicious yeah, dunk at some at, at yeah at, at one point in the second half. I mean, you know, vicious. And then AJ Griffin, I think, is phenomenal. Um, yeah, I, I can't I can't turn a blind eye to talent when I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Roach is good too. So Duke, I mean, Duke has a good Duke. Duke has a good group of guys, and I think that among the teams that will be left by the end of the weekend, which will be down to eight, um, I, I can understand to an extent why um, Duke would be people's favorites. And you know, it almost it almost was like you know with the Michigan State game too. It's like Duke has been in some matchups so far where you're like, well, yeah, they could have lost this, um, but their 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 refusal to go away uh, at the end of games, and also likewise the team that they're playing against their inability to close out a game if they had a lead it's just playing just playing the duke strengths so yeah i think it's interesting to see how duke's been able
1: to to win playing different styles yeah texas they do tech a texas, tech's not a good half court scoring team that they're good in transition that's how they got that early lead they were getting a ton of steals, ton of early transition buckets, and that's when they were really rolling. But if you can make them play in the half court, they're, they're just not a super talented half court offensive team, and neither was Michigan State. Um, now, they did have some guys get pretty hot in that game to kind of, who, who actually did play, play pretty well in the half court, but uh, I think Arkansas is kind of the same way, honestly. I don't think they're great... Offensive team in general, um, but they play super hard, super gritty, and they make you work for it. Um, it's kind of concerning to me to see Duke play a similar team like that in Texas Tech, who just has that nose to the grindstone style where they they defend, 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 and, and can throw bodies at you and have like tremendous athleticism on the wings, but. Um, yeah, I, I really think Duke... I, I like Duke over Arkansas, unfortunately, just because Duke Duke can play well in the half court. And I was really, really s- s- impressed and surprised by Jeremy Roach last night because he was their go-to yeah. guy when it came down to it. He had a Dude. couple of really, really impressive blow-by layups. He had that mid-range yeah. and step-back jump yeah, shot. that was pretty. I, I was... He's really rarely shown those offensive parts of his game especially not in crutch time but when you look at it he is their kind of veteran guy other than Wendell Moore he's got the most experience on that team and you can really tell that's that's Coach K's guy too um he the way he looks at Jeremy Roach is a little different I feel like than the way he looks at the rest of the team it reminds me a little bit of the like the time Trey and Tyus Jones like you, you can tell that he's kind of their motor now, which is pretty interesting, you know. It kind of scares me because, you know, they have so much talent, and if Jeremy Roach is the key contributor,
0: ugh. Man, uh, and he, 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 his body language was so telling to me. It, it, everything about him oozed confidence, Roach. Yeah. I mean, his step-backs, the way that he was moving um, without the ball, to me, I mean, that guy was destined to have a great game. Um and I really, I really think that is the one question, one of the big question marks is, you know, is Duke sort of forming faster than it can keep up with itself? Are there enough mm-hmm. experienced people to sort of hold them down? Because Coach K, obviously, the only thing better than a calm coach that knows what he's doing is a calm coach that knows what he's doing who has a resume like Coach K. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, yeah, I think Duke continues to look like a stronger and stronger team. And if I'm UNC... I don't want to play them. I don't want to have Brady Manick try to guard Bancaro again. I mean, it was sort of a fluke to me that in the second half, he was able to sort of, I guess, stifle Bancaro a little more. But I, it looked like every single possession Manick was getting beat um, for a while in that
1: first half against Duke. Uh, it's, it's harder to make those adjustments if you're Duke in-game, too, as that's happening. Because it really seemed like like, Manick did a really good job denying that like elbow pass and the high post did a really good job, like, picking his spots Mm. on where to guard Bankero, and that's a hard thing to adjust for during the game. And clearly, if, uh, not to get ahead of ourselves here, looking to a rematch, but um, that's something that Duke would have, you know, Mm. theoretically, a lot more time to prepare for, and kind of, you know, Bankero would know what spots to get to in the future against uh, Braden. Mann.
0: Yeah, that's true. Well, we got to move on. Um, first, we'll take a moment to thank our sponsors. Um, today's sponsor is the new DLC for Super Smash Brothers, featuring the new character Jawan Howard. <laughs> <laughs> this is no it's, way. it's a great new this DLC no. oh. featuring the open hand slap <laughs> no as way. his smash ability. I did not. Um, it's really. He did not. It's a really it's sweeping the nation. Oh that guy. Oh my god. Who else are we sponsored by Turner?
1: Sweet tea. Um, we are also sponsored by another new Smash character, Coach Cal, whose signature move is the joke. <laughs> joke! <laughs> Coach Cal. He can joke like nobody else. You guys. You
0: guys. Too good, man. Too man, good. What can we say? We're thankful for our sponsors. If you, want, if you want to fund us or sponsor us anyway, go to our GoFundMe page. Uh, we're currently sitting at a strong 4 dollars 5 which is enough oh. to pay us for a while.
1: Also, another advertisement. My friend Elvin, he's trying to go to Nationals for table tennis. So, uh, you know, help out Elvin Lou. You can look him up on Instagram and help him out to go to Nationals. He goes to UNC, and he's a menace with the paddle.
0: If he goes, we'll uh, break down his performance on the podcast. Uh, now moving on to the games that are tonight. Um, where do we want to start? What's the most interesting matchup to you guys, free of bias, of course?
2: Do
3: we just want to take a game because there's four? Yeah, yeah. let's, let's just take a game. I'll actually, I'll, free of bias, I'll, I'll go with I'll go with St. Peter's Purdue. Cool, L- let's see if St. Peter's pulls off the upset. Let's let's see if they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they can, but they're gonna. I think they have to they're going to have to stop Zach Eady. Uh so when you have a 7 foot 4 guy in the paint, that's insane. So they're going to have to make sure cuz Zach Edie, he I mean when you're 7 foot 4, you're slow. So if they can really use their their more their greater agility um, they their big name. If they can use their greater agility as an advantage. Um, I think that can help and then they're going to have to stop Jaden Ivey. Mm. Um, just, just cuz Jaden Jaden Ivey's just nasty. He's he's so good. Um And also, Purdue, when's the last time Purdue's made a Final Four? It's been a long, long time. And Purdue, like, has proven that they get somewhat deep and then they kind of fizzle out. So, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But, yeah, I'll be cheering for St. Peter's, I can tell you that
1: much. So, that's going to be a good game to watch.
2: I think the nation stands with you on that. If
1: we say go Cox in Chapel Hill today, we do not mean South Carolina because our women's team is playing South Carolina. We mean... Saint we Phoenix, are full endorse, We are fully Go endorsing Peacocks.
2: National Peacock Day, March twenty fifth. Absolutely. Um, I guess I, I guess we could switch gears a little bit. Uh, obviously, the campus favorite game we match up against you, uh, UCLA tonight. They're the four. We're the eight. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, you know. You wouldn't necessarily ascribe the word trap game to a game where you are so heavily the underdog. Anyway, usually a trap game is. Labeled, you know, towards the team that, you know, I guess coming in more than expects to win. Um, and you have people saying, oh, well, you know, let's let's not overlook. So maybe it's a trap game for UCLA. But, you know, in their eyes. But I think also this this Carolina team needs to not be so arrogant as to overlook this UCLA team after beating a team like Baylor in the last round. Um, you know, obviously, if you look at their regular season statistics, uh, uh, very, very similar. Um, both averaging around 77 points per game. Uh, Although UCLA is averaging 57 rebounds a game, which if we look at how effectively Carolina is able to rebound, it really is wrapped up in one guy um, because Baycott averages 13. Um, UCLA is only surrendering 55 points per game so far in this tournament while UNC is scoring 94 a game. So something's going to have to give in terms of which average takes a hit. Um, And also I think that's just truly incredible how drastic those two things are, um, especially with Carolina scoring 94 with the expectations for them coming in. Um, I am going to say that Carolina wins this simply because um, I fully expect Hubert Davis to play the starters for an extortionate amount of minutes again. They're yeah. probably <laughs> going to play for 40 minutes. Oh yeah. Um, there may be the off chance the the off chance that Dontrez Stone and Brock Johnson absolutely. get get some get some minutes <laughs> in. It. I was especially impressed with with Dontrez's composure yeah, being put in against into, Baylor. You know, get being oh, yeah. being put into that spot uh, in in the round of 32 matchup. Because apparently uh, breaking an inbound, one of the most basic concepts of basketball, just was unheard of before that game. Um, it almost makes me question if we ran or practiced any press break plays before that game. So hopefully that's what Hubert emphasized this week. But um, I think that should be a good one. Um, I'm not a fan of the start time, 9.40 p.m. No. game after playing a 12 Late. p.m. game the last round. And then it's a quick turnaround because you got to go play if we win. we got to go play on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, Purdue players probably going to be in bed by the time our game is over, which is why I can't stand that because that's what we play next. Mm. <laughs> they win and we win. Um, but that should be a good one. Johnny Juzang is their main scorer. Mm-hmm. I would ex- would more than expect Leaky Black to draw that assignment mm-hmm. um, just because of his ability to erase people out of a game. He has been struggling, though. He, ha- right he- Yeah, yeah. He he has, but I I think, I think we don't have a lot of you know we don't we really don't have a lot of options when it comes to you know pure lockdown defenders. I'm already concerned enough for R.J. Davis having to guard Tyler or Tiger Campbell this game because you know I think Tiger, Cam, uh, Tyler, uh, Tiger Campbell assumes the role that R.J. does for UCLA. Mm-hmm. He controls the pace. They give it to him if if things need to be slowed down. He also has an Alfred Payton haircut. If you've seen what his hair looks like, it definitely looks like one of the trees we're sitting next to in his backyard. <laughs> um, but, you know, hopefully hopefully, RJ doesn't underestimate his matchup off hair alone. But I, I look at those factors. You know, Zhang's a huge mid-range guy. Um, UCLA has decent, decent scoring bigs. Um, obviously, 57 rebounds a game as a team. On average tells you that UCLA is a decent rebounding group so Baycott's gonna have his hands full and he's gonna have mm-hmm. a lot of responsibility uh, on that front but uh, my expectations that Carolina wins they're predicted they only have a 31% chance to win ESPN has really never endorsed us like ever uh, this season so that was that was expected but um I don't see this as any different than people's frame of mind going into the Baylor game the mm-hmm. expectation was that we weren't gonna win that game you know you ignore that you stay true to who you are you know date you know this UNC team especially with what I hear from Hubert Davis he knows how to keep this team motivated i think they're familiar with their with you know with their identity i don't think they get distracted by the stuff on the outside um, but this has the potential to be one of the best games today in my opinion mm-hmm. and i guess that's why it is the closing game at 9:40 because mm-hmm. people expect that to be a show man and if hakez i think
0: there's there's the debate of whether hakez will even play but if he does mm-hmm. play i think he will play mm-hmm. uh, because that's his mentality and that's the sort of guy he is i don't think it'll be 100% um, man, he, he does. He uses he uses a lot of footwork, and an ankle injury yeah. is going to be really damaging to him. I yeah. think. Um, and, and and you look at the way Manic uh, handled Ben footwork down low so poorly. I think mean, that was the one thing is Manic had to play so that Ben couldn't get the ball in the low post because whenever he did, his footwork really right. put Manic on edge. Right. So I, I think it would have created, if everyone was healthy, a really bad matchup. Um, in the post for us so um, yeah I agree I think North Carolina takes that um, and moves on to play a strong Purdue team but as for what I would like to speak into in the the Kansas Providence game I'll just say this Uh, Providence has the most experience out of anyone um, left in this tournament in terms of uh, years they have on their players they're 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 starting five as four seniors and a junior Um, and if they wanted to they could start five seniors because um, their six man is a senior as well so I, I think this team if any team is going to keep Kansas out of the final four I think it's this Providence team especially when you look at I mean the winner of this game is playing Iowa State and Miami Providence to me is the only shot that um, has the only shot to keep Kansas out of the final four and I think Kansas would do really well in the final four I, they've looked like a I mean they've looked incredibly strong as a one seed Um... Why they're the only ones left? So I'm actually going to pick Providence to pull on the upset mm. here. I think mm. they'll stay in the game the whole time, and whenever you have a team that'll stay with you the whole way, um, when you got expectations like Kansas, that can pose some that can pose some problems. They're really, I mean, they have great um, great
1: perimeter defense as well.
2: Corbin, do you want to round it out? Cool.
1: Yeah, I got the the last game. Um, so Iowa State and Miami. Which is definitely a matchup that very, very few people, maybe some random grandmas in the uh, bracket challenge. Maybe they saw it coming, but I don't think most people who really follow college Shout out to my sister
0: Lucy for predicting St. <laughs> Peter's to the Sweet 16 because she liked the Peacock. She did not. <laughs> yeah. Dude.
3: Well,
2: Join the you then. So that's yeah. how I like goes. <laughs> so it's her is day. Is she
3: going to be our guest? Oh. No, see, she'll see.
1: But, yeah, um... Iowa State is a really, really cool story. So they were 2-22 and last year. That's something that's kind of gone, like, untalked about in the media. They lost their last 18 games of the regular season last year. And then after that incredibly bad season, their three leading scorers, clearly big-time world beaters, they all transferred out, too. And what did Iowa State do? They made the Sweet 16. So credit to them. Um... They kind of they got three uh like productive transfers. They got a new coach and became just a super defensive-minded team. Some nights they well actually most nights, they're not a very fun team to watch. They play just hard defense, grind it out. Uh think kind of Virginia basketball. They're controlling possession as much as they can, long shot clocks, long possessions. But you really have to respect uh, the incredible turnaround. They had the... For, for a team to make the Sweet 16, they have the the worst record, like worst winning percentage of all time the previous season. Mm, um, there you go. So pretty, pretty cool. I mean, they won 22 games this season, and, and they lost 22 last year. So pretty incredible. Um and then their their opponent for this game, Miami, has really just been surprising everyone, especially people who kind of doubted the ACC all season. Uh, Miami technically was a bubble team, and for them to come out and play the way they have to, to upset Auburn, it's been really awesome for, for fans of the ACC in general. But they've got, you know, really great guards. Their point guard, Charlie Moore, who had a really awesome pass to uh, beat Boston College at, at the buzzer in the ACC tournament. Mm. This is his I think fourth college he's played for. He's like a super senior and you know, he he's kind of their engine. He's the blue guy. Uh, their coach, Larry Nago, referred to him as their own kind of Chris Paul. And they've got Wong, who is just an athlete. That guy can 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 stay with anyone athletically. Will dunk on your head if you challenge him. Um, they got good wing and McGusty, and then Sam Wardenberg is kind of their stretch stretch four or five guy who absolutely gave Carolina a bucket earlier this season. Did hurt his hand though. So oh, he did it hurt, hurt his very, hand. He hurt his hand in the last that's game. Right, so that'll be uh, that's a gonna, big thing to watch. That is, that's a great point, Corbin. So. Yeah, I, I, I think I like Miami in this game. Iowa State, they, they're they definitely playing uh, with with nothing to lose, but so is Miami at this point. And on sheer talent, Miami has a, a huge advantage. So I really like I, Miami in this matchup, but a really awesome outcome for both teams to to be still playing basketball at this point in the season. And, you know, for one of them to make an Elite Eight is is pretty fun in terms of having high seeds battling it out late in the season.
2: Well
0: done. Man, absolutely. Well, we got to wrap it up here. This has been a a long episode but we got to call in our special guest for today um, (laughs) before we can bounce out. Let's see if we can get a first time answer. Hello? Ashley Marshall, you're live on the Uh uh, podcast here. (laughs) We need a hot take. What is your hot take on the games today?
3: My hot take is that UNC is going to go all the way and win it all.
0: That is your hot take. Okay, give us some reasons behind that. What what makes you so sure? Because UNC is... God's favorite team. <laughs> <laughs> if you need said. any evidence,
3: just look at the color of the sky. There you go, Ashley. There you go.
0: Dang straight, a poetic way to end the podcast, Ashley Marshall. Uh, we'll see if your prediction holds true. Amazing. All right. Goodbye. Thank you so much. I feel so honored. <laughs> <laughs> and. Hung up. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: what a, what a like,
0: we've, we've been getting consistently some strong, some strong takes. What I a justification. That
2: may be the most incontrovertible justification ever. I'm, God, God's favorite take. I mean, who can argue who with, could argue with that? Who can argue with that? It's literally a good
0: Carolina Blue. I'm impressed with that hot take. All right, that's all we got time for today. Live in Pearl Lane.
2: Enjoy the games. Go, Go
3: heels. heels. Go freaking heels, man.
2: Woo! <laughs>